0: Hello, everyone i'm paul sterabin and welcome to america beyond on the new books network my guest today is shaul majid visiting professor of modern jewish studies at the harvard divinity school he's a professor of jewish studies at dartmouth college and he's also rabbi of the fire island synagogue in seaview new york his academic work focuses on jewish mysticism and modern jewish thought with an emphasis on american judaism jewishness and collective identity And his books include today's uh, one at hand, Meyer Kahana, The Public Life and Political Thought of an American Jewish Radical, published in 2021. Shaul, welcome to America and Beyond. Thank you. And I'd like to note that we are talking uh, in a very fluid situation. It's Friday, October the 13th. Israeli troops appear to be on the cusp of a ground invasion of Gaza after the attack on Israeli soil by Hamas. And with that, just uh briefly if you can Joe who um who is uh Meyer uh Kahana and what and what brought you to him. So Meyer Kahana was an
1: American-born rabbi um who rose to prominence in the 1960s with the founding of the Jewish Defense League which we'll talk about more a little bit later on. Uh he's known for his kind of militancy, a militant view about American Jewish identity and American Jewish pride in the United States. And then in Israel, he founds a, a a party called the Qas party, which was committed to violent and uh, militant action against Palestinians and Arabs. And he was eventually uh, removed from the Israeli parliament, according to a law that was passed just for him, which was called the racism law that claimed that his politics were racist and his party became illegal. And then he was assassinated in New York City in
0: 1990, 1991. 1991. Yeah. So that's a little over 20 years ago. And Mm -hmm. right, so was he in any sense a forerunner of his times? I mean, if you're imagining him now wherever he is, uh, looking uh, at the situation as it's developing in Israel. Is this according to some kind of prophecy that he had? I mean, what would you imagine he is thinking?
1: In some way, yes. There's a very popular uh, graffiti that's been you know, posted all over Israel for many years that reads, Kahana Tzadak, Kahana was right. And basically, I think given the realities that we're living in, although the reality we're living in now is a very, very complicated and liquid water. I think there would be a kind of collective, I told you so, and I think a lot of his followers in, in Israel now are basically, you know, acting that way, as if to say that the relationship between the Jews and the Arabs in Israel is a zero-sum game. One side is going to win, one side is going to lose. There's no really pos- There's no real possibility of coexistence. There surely is not any possibility of equality for Arabs within a, in a Jewish state, and therefore, in a certain sense, the Arab violence, the Palestinian violence, the Hamas violence, for him would have been totally predictable. Which then brings him to his conclusion, which is that uh, that the Arabs simply have to
0: be removed from the country completely. Right. And in fact, uh, you quote him from 1974, there will be no peace between Jews and Arabs as long as it remains a Jewish state of any kind. Correct. And, Um, you know, one of the things that serves as a really a
1: cornerstone of Israeli um, political identity is this notion of Israel being a Jewish and democratic state. That actually, many people think that was in the Declaration of Independence, but it wasn't. It was added in the 1980s as an addendum to the basic law of Israel. And the notion of a Jewish and democratic state is something that Kahana thought was what he called schizophrenic, meaning impossible. That could be, as he said, there could be a Jewish state or they can be an Arab state but they can't be a Jewish I'm sorry they can be a Jewish state or they could be a democratic state but they can't be a Jewish democratic state
0: and there was nothing as just a you know no. I think to to punctuate there was there is no formal uh constitution for the State of Israel, correct That's correct. So in a way there's a lot of space for for people like Kahana and others to try to essentially impose their this kind of vision or conception. On Israeli society,
1: that's correct. And and I will say that a lot of people uh, were were troubled by the Jewish and democratic locution, not because they didn't want it to be true, but because they they recognized that it was a very precarious thing to that something had to be an an ethno, an ethno national state, meaning a Jewish state, and it could be a democratic state, which would equally include the non um, the non-Jews within that state. So it's, Kyle wasn't the only one who claimed that it was problematic. Kahada was one of the first that claimed that it was impossible. And I think what's happening today is, um, that the question of Israel as being a Jewish and democratic state is really on trial in a certain
0: sense. And that's part of what the protests were about. Right. And one aspect of, of Kahana that perhaps is not often uh, brought out among people who are at least familiar with his, his name, and some of his life, is is a kind of uh, almost theocratic aspect or his his identification with sort of God's plans. And to jump ahead in your book, you get to this in your chapter on militant post-Zionist apocalypticism and his final work, uh, published in Hebrew and then in English, over 600 pages in Hebrew, and over 1,000 in English, which he describes arguably the most widely read and popular of his works, certainly in Israel. And you get to this conception of a Musar, Musar text. Right. Um, and uh, I think it's important uh, for people to understand where all of that is 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 coming from, uh, especially as it as it uh, is it, to the conclusion of your of your of your work on him, right? So I think you know
1: the the argument that I made, and there are some people who have taken issue with that, is that the the um, Kahana's training in 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 yeshiva in Brooklyn was in an institution that really held itself to be an institution that had a certain. Uh, focus on this thing called the Musar tradition. The Musar tradition was, very briefly, a tradition of um, Jewish, um, I wouldn't say Jewish behaviorism, but a sense of a Jewish approach which focused on trying to correct and and purify uh, the individual's not only those, the religious not only the individual's religious life but also the individual's ethical life right it was a kind of it was a movement of self um, uh, there was a movement of self perfection in the hebrew is tikunimdot right uh-huh. to fix one's behavioral traits uh-huh. and i think in some way what kahana does in or harayon or the or the jewish idea which is the hebrew which is the english translation of the book is he collectivizes that idea that, that is, the Jewish idea is, as a book, is trying to offer a corrective to the Jewish political culture upon which Zionism was founded. Because Zion, and we'll go back to America, we'll talk about this as well, the real enemy of the Jews for Kahana are not the Black Panthers, are not the John Birch Society. The real enemy of the Jews for Kahana is liberalism and and the problem with zionism for kahana and the problem with democracy in israel for kahana is that it's based on a a theory of liberalism that he felt was not applicable to a jewish state now kahana believed in democracy and he believed that america was the greatest democracy of human civilization and he believed that america in a certain sense uh provided jews with the kind of flourishing and religious freedom that they never had before. But ultimately, even American democracy and American liberalism would never provide a protection against the rise of anti-Semitism. And liberalism in Israel was just reproducing for him a certain kind of Jewish diasporic um, political ideology that he felt was destructive. So in a sense, he was in favor of democracy everywhere except in Israel. Right. And and in Israel, you know, it's very interesting because one of the one of the the basic premises of Zionism as an ideology is to create a Jewish state to normalize the Jews, that somehow the Jews were abnormal as a people living without a state, living without a land in the diaspora and to normalize the Jews, which which Zionists felt would also have an impact in diminishing anti-Semitism would be to create a nation-state like other nation-states, a sovereign nation-state with an army that can protect themselves, where Jews were able to live freely as Jews. Kahana, arguably, uh, interestingly, said, it's not that Jews should become a normal people, it's that Jews should become an abnormal people. Only, they, only Israel should become not a normal state, but an abnormal state. Uh-huh. And that's where the theocracy comes in, right? He believed that Jews should live according to Torah law, and that would be to dismantle the democracy and to establish a theocracy,
0: and that's right. what, you do, what to do. And one of the tenets, and again, this you know, we're in the shadow of these events: this uh, horrific uh, attack by Hamas on uh, Jewish uh, civilians, Israelis, and others, not only Jewish, in 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 Gaza and, and, and thereabouts, a massacre of of uh uh some kids basically who were uh, at a rave uh dance festival uh just across a few miles across the border we have seen all of that and then we saw the prime minister uh Benjamin Netanyahu vow a mighty vengeance that's the word at least in english as it came out i believe he pronounced it in english yeah and this rang for me uh from your chapter the, describing the Musar uh, that uh, in Kahana's uh, vision it it creates an angry collective that seeks revenge on those who stand in its path of domination. Now um, mm-hmm. that may be trying to t- too much to fit in the events because you know path of domination, but this theme n- Nakama uh, I guess is the word that you use uh, you describe as a central tenet of his program for national correction right
1: so it's very interesting i mean the two things that we're living in the midst of right now are the months-long protest um where uh israeli society uh, of the center and of the left were arguing that the right-wing government was trying to dismantle democracy by creating an autocracy by weakening the power of the supreme court that's a man right and then you know, and then you have this massive and and barbaric and almost like unprecedented attack of the uh, of Hamas from Gaza, which resulted in the slaughter and murder of of over a thousand Israeli citizens. And I think that's very important to note that it was mostly citizens, right? And I think that I think that Kahana Kahana would say, in a certain sense both of those th- yeah, he would have predicted both of those things and he would also see both of those things as somehow linked together. that the, 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 the fact that that the country was exercising its liberal muscles, so to speak, to try to prevent the auto- the autocratic um, in- inclinations of the government, however we understand that. Left itself open to the violent attack of Hamas or the Arab population, which in a certain sense crippled Israel from the inside and the outside. In other words, I think one of the things that's so we'll see historically that's so significant about this event is that the attack happened when Israel was already inside of an internal crisis with the, with the, with the, with the um, with the protest, which was really about Israel as being a Jewish democratic state. And in a certain sense, it's that vulnerability, which had nothing to do with Hamas. It was totally internal to to, to Israel. That vulnerability was uh, then, you know, in a certain sense, taken advantage of by Hamas. But the, the problem of the Arab and the problem of liberalism, which, Kahana claimed those were the two problems in the State of Israel, liberalism and the Arab. They somehow came together on October 7th. And in that sense, I think Kahana would have said, as much as he would have been horrified and mourned what happened, he would have said, yes, this is a combination of the two weaknesses of the country that were not able to that, was, that, 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 that the state was not able to hold together.
0: Right. And to finish this off, then what would he or his disciples, maybe they're even speaking now, what would their program be right now? Would it be just essentially to just flatten Gaza? Would there be, you know, would it be even wider than that? I mean, where, you know, what is their program yeah. given what happened?
1: Well, I think this has happened, first of all, obviously a an unprecedented um, destruction, flattening of Gaza, which would which would require the deaths of tens of thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands. Oh, sure. Mm-hmm. And also, and also, the the um, uh, the eradication of the Arabs in the West Bank. In you know, other for him, the, this would be, if anything, a horrible opportunity to remove the Arabs from the country. And so you know he has a book called They Must Go and he basically makes the claim it is a zero sum game. So he'll say, look, I he'll say, look, I understand he says this, I understand the Arabs. The Arabs have no less of a national aspiration than the Jews. Right. Like somehow the liberals he claimed, think that the Arabs will ultimately acquiesce and be uh, be willing to live as not as equal citizens but as even non-equal citizens in a Jewish state, and he's saying, "No, the Arabs are," as he would say, jokingly, cleverly, "The Arabs are just as Zionist as the Jews."
0: Right, right, <laughs> and it, it, yeah. So, well, not to pin, that- yeah, yeah. Well, and well, not to pin, pin you down, but as as his uh, biographer of sorts, or a biographer of his of his ideas uh, and conceptions, what is your take on that? I think it's. Um, Or as as a rabbi.
1: (laughs) No, yeah, certainly, as as someone who wrote about it, it is, uh, I think that Kahana is tapping in to a certain kind of fear, a certain kind of anxiety, and a certain aspect, a certain aspect of the Jewish tradition. Obviously, not the dominant one, and not the one that is most operative, but a certain aspect of the Jewish tradition that basically sees the world as always going to be Israel's enemy, Uh and that the only possible way of survival is to create an enclave that's non-democratic, that's ethnocentric, and that is able to kind of protect itself against this kind of eternal anti-Semitism. Now, what do I think of that? I think it's a horrific view of Judaism. If that was the view, if, if that became the dominant view of Judaism... I would no longer practice Judaism, right? I mean, if, if that became the dominant view, which it isn't, but I'm saying because it doesn't really speak to um, any kind of universal vision, any kind of responsibility. The whole concept of Israel as being the light to the nations and all of those things is completely erased. And what you get is a kind of chauvinistic political project
0: which is immoral from my
1: perspective,
0: at its core, so it's a kind of a, almost a denatured form of uh, Judaism and vision. Although you point out in your book that Kahara, of course, and we're going to get to his American roots, but in this sort of Jewish uh, or the Zionist uh, Zionist context, I mean, people like Jabotinsky, uh, you know, in- anticipated or came before him, right? I mean, that strand uh, it did not begin with. Uh, you know, with Kahana.
1: Well, Jabotinsky was um, Jabotinsky was one of the only Zionists Let's say who he was too. No, so, so Vladimir Jabotinsky, also Zev Jabotinsky, was a Russian Zionist who basically developed this idea of what he called majoritarianism. That the, that what was most important is that there would be a majority of Jews who would live in the land of Israel. They would create a Jewish state and. He was, he was not in favor of transferring the Arabs out of that state, and he was actually very much an advocate of minority rights, both of Jews in Russia and Arabs in Palestine, but it was a much more militaristic view of what a Jewish political reality would be. He was very influenced by, by the Italian fascists, and in a certain sense, a certain segment of his followers became very fascistic, and very violent against the British, the British colonialism on the one hand, and the Arab population on the other. Now Jabotinsky was a friend of Kahana's father, and whenever Kahana, whenever Jabotinsky would come to America to New York to raise money, he would, he would always stay in the Kahana house. So Kahana had met him. Now Jabotinsky dies in 1940. Kahana is born in 1934, so he was really a six-year-old kid. He. But he has those memories. And if, if you read Kahana on most Zionist figures, the one of the only figures that he feels positive about is Jabotinsky. Huh. He didn't like Dorian. He didn't like Herzl. He didn't like any of those other people.
0: Yeah. Well, that's not surprising, probably, yeah. because I'm sure it was reciprocated in some fashion. What about Menachem Begin?
1: Well, interestingly
0: enough, Menachem Begin...
1: Um, was one of the only living people that Kahana spoke spoke of with approval. And I will say, and I can't you can't get into the details, but those who read the book, there was a very famous Brussels conference about Soviet jewry that Kahana had not been invited to, but crashed. and there was a meaning about whether to let him stay. And the only person at that conference, and that conference had many of the great world leaders of jury, the only person who spoke up in defense of Kahana was Menachem Begin. <laughs> but but even then but even at the end, Menachem Begin also abandoned him in the Knesset. He did. Yeah, because I think that even the right wing parties in the Knesset saw that
0: Kahana was really a revolutionary and he really actually did want to overthrow the country. Sure. So it was just being outside the boundaries of, of the democratic uh, he was, he was system too, he was too dangerous, yeah. Right. Right. So let's circle back now. So a core theme in the book is his Americanness, which he brought to to Israel uh when he migrated there. But so where did that come from I mean, how does how did he get to be uh this figure that we're now talking about, you know, as as is his his philosophy on on Zionism and Jewishness and so forth. How was his upbringing in in Brooklyn a, a kind of a crucible for that?
1: Well, you know that when Kahana grows up, for the most part, in he's born in the nineteen thirties, but he's really growing up mostly in post war America. <laughs> and the post war America Jewish world, even the Orthodox world, certainly the modern Orthodox world that Kahana grew up in was very much a, a world of acculturation. These were people who were trying to be American and they were adopting all kinds of American lifestyles. For example, Connor was a lifetime, you know, almost fanatical baseball fan. He actually wrote a sports column in the Brooklyn Herald, which is a daily Brooklyn uh, who was his team? I suppose it was the Yankees, or maybe the Dodgers. I Not guess the Dodgers. Before yeah. the Dodgers left, he must have been a Dodger fan. I remember, had, yeah, I can't remember when the Dodgers
0: so many, left. The Yankees fan, exactly. No. Or, no well, I, there was also the Giants. Yeah, I have, I have, I have. Um, I have uh, I, I okay, have, that's you know, a that's a dig, that's you, a digression. I'm a but, baseball but, guy, but yeah, but he was re- he really was very American past the American, past, American pastime. He's a very American figure,
1: and. He absorbed the counterculture in a very interesting way. So the counterculture, which starts with the Port Euron statement and then the rise of the new left and the protests, right? He comes from a place as an Orthodox Jew who was anti-liberal, but not Mm anti-radical. So he took groups like the Black Panthers, the Young Lords, these these minority groups that were that were coming into existence to fight against, in the case of Black Panthers, racism the, to fight against poverty, to fight against racism, they're basically a kind of many of them influenced by Marxism. But Kahana was not interested in Marx. Kahana was interested in radicalism. Well, right, he was, he right. was, he was he... trying to
0: prevent Jewish assimilation. Did he? Well, with the Black Panthers, it's just kind of fascinating. I mean, did he associate with the Panthers at all? Or was this just all like stuff he you know heard about or read about? Oh, he, he he hated the Black
1: Panthers. He thought the Black Panthers were anti-Semitic, which in some in some cases some of them maybe were. Well, he didn't he didn't. It wasn't any kind of personal encounter, but he absorbed the ideology. For example, in in his book, The Story of the Jewish Defense League, which he published in 1975, he has a chapter called Jewish Panthers. Yeah, Jewish Panthers. Right. Yeah, because he he basically said, yeah, I understand what they're doing. They're rising up and militantly fighting against the inequality
0: and the dangers of racism and I want Jews to do the same thing. Yeah. Well, I think an interesting point you make in the book is that we're not really talking about an original thinker uh or or much of a, a of an intellectual type in 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 Kahana, right? I mean, we're talking about somebody who it sounds like he's he, he kind of rips off a lot of the stuff that's in the culture. He maybe his original contribution is that he makes it he kind of owns it, uh, you know, in in application to the 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 Jews and, and particularly the you know the Jews at Jewish communities in in New York, which he feels protection. But but there's nothing. Uh, I mean, there really are no like brilliant insights here, right?
1: Yeah, I I mean he was he was somebody who really was a vacuum cleaner he just absorbed it's vacuum cleaners cleaner. and he was a middle brow thinker right he he had an education he went to college he graduated from law school never passed the bar but you know he so he had an education yeah, not, it, not like an idiot or anything right. but but and you he know read, and he read voraciously um he's not reading Cotton Hegel, right but he's reading he's reading you know yeah he's reading he's reading pretty widely and pretty voraciously and he's re- as you said i think He's not an original thinker. He's absorbing other ideas, but then he's applying them in a particular way. So I think the idea of right-wing militancy or reactionary militancy was actually quite new in the 1960s. Most of the militants were on the left. Yes, I mean, later, you know, what we see now, the militancy
0: moved. The weatherman, the SDS.
1: Weatherman, later on, the militancy moved to the right, which we see today but in those days the right we the right wing the, the right wing were not they they were the they were the Barry Goldwaters right they were there they in a certain sense were the establishment
0: yeah they were not on the street in the way that the the 60s guys were in the way that he is and and let's also say there's an element of, of charisma here i mean he may have been a middle-brow thinker but and this is where i tell my my story of growing up in in Worcester, Massachusetts, in the Jewish community, and somebody—my parents or who knows—pointed me to the appearance of a Meyer Kahana. You know, at the Beth Israel synagogue, a conservative synagogue. We were the members of a Reform synagogue, and I—I I was there, and there was a kind of a, 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 a sort of an electric uh, air, a uh, current in that room as he spoke. Uh, and I don't remember much of what he said, but it was all about, you know, he had a kind of swagger and sort of an unapologetic way of, of saying, uh, you know, we're here to protect uh, the Jews, all these sort of niceties, uh, you know, about uh, the liberal society, all that sort of stuff. I mean, it, it came across. And so that was, uh, you know, probably in the early 70s. Right,
1: so if you go to the, since you're speaking about Worcester, there was another very famous Jew from Abby Worcester Hoffman, who actually, you know, Kahana wrote Kahana wrote an obituary for him in the Jewish press after Abby Hoffman died. Did he really? Yeah, it was a very critical one. <laughs> okay, but 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 Abby Hoffman was once asked on a radio interview what he thought of Mayor Kahana, uh-huh. and he had a great response. He said, "I agree with his tactics, but I don't agree with his goals." Mm-hmm. Okay. Right. And in a sense, Kahana and Hoffman were both radicals. They yeah. both right. They both believed in 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 radical politics as
0: a way to overturn the liberal establishment. Well, they were they were certainly anti-establishment, and I think radical. And certainly, the '60s cover covers a lot of ground as well, uh, but. Tied to this as well, I, I I think we need to talk about the creation of the Jewish D- Defense League, which which at one time was you know was really kind of a thing. Yeah, the Jewish Defense League is
1: fascinating because he fa- he founded it in May of 1968, after a, a, in response to the strike. And the, well, what the, was the, the strike? Again? The strike was the the Brown Ocean Hill Brownsville school strike which then uh, resulted in a lot of uh, protests among the African American and Hispanic parents that turned quite anti-Semitic because 70% of the the teachers in this 95% African American and Hispanic district were white. And a large percentage of the 70% of the white teachers were Jews and albert Shanker, who was there, was then the head of the kind of uh, the teachers federation so he became a kind of target for some of the african american families so there was a lot of there was anti-semitic pamphlets that were handed out in protests around the strike and this is really the impetus for Kahana founding the jewish defense league in may of 68 but in september of 71 in to israel so in a certain sense the kahane the Kahana period of the Jewish Defense League is May 68 to September 71. It's a very short period of time.
0: Right. And what was like what did they do? What was their most uh, I don't know fa- famous uh encounter or, or episode?
1: Well, there were a number of them. There were the, the first encounter happened in uh in, in the summer of sixty in, in I'm sorry, in um, on Halloween of nineteen sixty eight when uh traditionally Blacks would go to this Jewish cemetery and like desecrate the cemetery. So that Halloween of 68, Kahana had his JDL go and hide in the cemetery. And when the blacks came to desecrate the graves, the they JDL came out and kind of, you know, engaged with them and beat them up. That was like, that was a kind of coming out. So sort of baseball bats, that kind of thing. Baseball jack, nunchucks, chains, and so on. You know, that kind of
0: Okay. Okay. And then
1: there were all kinds of other uh, uh, encounters. For example... Um, there was a a, uh, a um, African American celebration of African American culture at the Metropolitan Museum of Art that also had some things that Kahada thought were anti-Semitic. So they go and they protest in front of that, or they go and protest in front of a synagogue when uh, uh, when uh, a Reform synagogue in New York City when a Black nationalist was invited to talk about reparations. Right. Right. <laughs> right. Yes. That's in your book. Right. On the cover of the New York Times. So, for Kahana, the gold standard was getting in the New York Times. Right. Well, as as ever, and, and that was basically, you know, if he was able to get a photograph and an article in the New York Times, that was basically a success story. For yeah. Well, one could only imagine him now on social media. I mean. Oh, oh of course. right. He would but, be. But, but the, the other thing that happens is it ships in December of 69. Kahana walks into the JDL offices in Manhattan and says, I now want to change the entire program. We're going to commit ourselves to Soviet Jewry. Uh-huh. Now, Soviet Jewry, the, the, the student struggle for Soviet Jewry was founded in 1964. Uh-huh. So by 1969, it had already been going on for quite a long time. It was founded by Yakov Birnbaum. And Kahana wrote an article called To Save Soviet Jewry in 1964. And after that, we see almost nothing from him. Suddenly, in 69, he says, We have to put all
0: our energy to that. And that's what really brought him national prominence. He took True. over the Soviet Jewry movement. Right. And then, but then, as you say, 1971, he's in Israel. And uh, I mean, is it facile to, to offer some sort of a link between the. Uh, you know, the African-American in his eye in America and the Arab in Israel? Oh, totally. I mean, I think that's that's what's so interesting. That was what was so interesting he
1: passed on. Yeah. Is that, is that, in fact, his project in Israel is really an American importation. Mm-hmm. He kind of takes the African-American and then makes them into the Arab. And that's one of the reasons why Kahana as a person... Never really was
0: able to 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 acclimate to Israeli. Yeah, I mean, how old is he in nineteen seventy one when he gets to? Uh, he's about, in, I guess he's in his 30s, in the forties. He's in his forties. And, and I mean, does he actually have any real experience of living amongst a, a Arab people? So he has none of that. He's grown up in this this very kind of intense, you know, New York uh, political environment with all these. Sort of uh, tensions that you uh, describe, and then suddenly he's in Israel, and uh, he, you know, unlike nearly all of the other people there, he really knows nothing about the people who who inhabit Israel. So I'll give you an example.
1: There are two, the two, one of the two first things that he does when he gets to Israel, he tries to promote legislation that would prohibit Jewish and Arab dating. Number one. And he tries to get the government to remove a group of black Hebrews from Chicago who settled
0: in a southern Israeli town of Demona. Well, then the dating thing, I mean, do you think that's about some kind of fear that uh, Jewish women will be attracted to Arab men? Right. And on some level, you could say that
1: the Jewish Arab dating thing was really about intermarriage. But of course, in Israel, no one cared about intermarriage. First of all, you know, why care about intermarriage when you're the majority?
0: Now, right. The majority? But I was going to take a point. It wasn't maybe so much about Jewish men being attracted to Arab women.
1: No, it was it was about intermarriage, which was, which was a tremendous issue in the late 1960s or 1970s. I mean, Kahana wrote a book called Why Be Jewish? About intermarriage. So in a certain sense, he comes to Israel. He says, oh, we have to stop this because it would be intermarriage. And, and the Israelis, Israeli society like, what? Intermarriage? Like, <laughs> like, yeah, I'm not intermarriage. That's a burning issue. Right. And second of all, they were saying, what, so like a couple of hundred black Hebrews are living in Demona, like who cares? Right. But for him, that's the thing for him. He's thinking in these American categories, racial categories, and it never really translates into the Israel in the Israeli kind of you know cultural milieu, what happens is his followers, who many of whom were native born Israelis, they begin to kind of translate the, the the project into a much more Israeli register. But he was he remained American throughout.
0: Right. Well, of course, he could. He was. He could converse with them in in Hebrew and all of that, right? So he was. He
1: was, but he, you know, and his Hebrew was fine. But if you listen to him, uh, you know, if you go on YouTube and you listen to, him, he spoke Hebrew with a very American accent. They oh, used to Hebrew. His Hebrew, in terms of linguistically, was very good, but he was never able to kind of, you know, there's this Hebrew term "kliṭa," which is like absorption. He was never really to fully absorb into Israeli oh, he's in
0: society. He's a transplant.
1: No, yeah, he was a transplant, right? But he but he introduced a certain kind of radical political ideology that he was absorbing from the culture wars and the race wars of the 1960s. He was pulling in Jabotinsky and the militant Zionism of the Zionist revisionists and one of the one of the more prominent Zionist revisionists who was Jabotinsky's secretary in New York, was Bencio Netanyahu, Benjamin Netanyahu's father. Uh-huh. So there's a real connection there between Netanyahu's vision of Zionism uh-huh. and Kahana's vision of Zionism, except Netanyahu, as a political figure, is not advocating the kinds of things that Kahana was advocating. But if you step back from the tactics and you look at the overall...
0: Ideology, I think you would find some similarities. Was there a connection then, also with uh, Bibi and uh, Maya Kahana? Well, he was young then, um, right? Okay.
1: Remember, Netanyahu was living in Boston. He doesn't come back to Israel until his brother is killed in
0: Entebbe. Okay,
1: right. And it's not even clear what he envisioned for himself as a life, whether he was going to actually go back to Israel or not. His father, who was an was an ardent Zionist, spent many years living in the United States. Mm-hmm. So it's a, it's a complicated story I mean I don't I don't I, I just don't think that Netanyahu was much of
0: a political actor at the time when Kahana was in right BB Netanyahu yeah Bibi right, right 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 and then so then the story he's in Israel for for you know well it's what, what about 20 years because he's he's assassinated uh, uh, you say the year 1991 so that's I 20 years after his arrival in uh, after he first showed up in Israel.
1: Although, although for most of that time he spent about half his time in America, either being in America doing a speaking tour, raising money, he was he basically had to spend a year in prison in Pennsylvania because he had kind of like um, uh, uh, transgressed his probation his probation laws. He was found guilty in in America of arms smuggling, and then he was given uh, a fine and certain and probation. And somehow he broke the probation and he had to come back and he spent a year in prison in Pennsylvania. I see. So he was was going back and forth. Right. And that was, yeah, part of just the the tenor of his life. Because because the JDL continued to exist, uh, although it really started to descend into real kind of a street gang by the time, you know, after a couple of years after he left. And there's an internal... Document that I was able to read from the archives that it, that he comes back and really rebukes the JDL in 1974 by saying, like, you guys have just basically turned into a street gang. Like, there's no, you have no
0: project anymore. There's no, no anymore. right. And that, and in Israel, I mean, was he ever a direct participant in violence or was he, how intimately was he connected with violent people? He, oh, he was connected with violent people and he was engaged
1: in arms smuggling. Um, even in Israel and he spent he was arrested some 60 times in Israel and spent a lot of time in Israeli jails and spent a year in jail in Ramla because of uh, being accused of sedition. So he he was he was an outlaw even in Israel and I think that that that's what so what was so shocking for the Israeli political world was that he was elected into the parliament it was
0: collecting yeah. like an outlaw into the parliament. Yeah. Well, then to pull us back to the beginning, then as we we can begin to to, to close. I mean, this idea of the neo Kahanaism is is. Uh, I mean, there are his followers, his disciples. I mean, you mentioned the graffiti mm-hmm. squalls. I mean, has he come back in some? So oh, think I, get with, I think he's come back
1: with a vengeance. Um, you know, Itamar Ben-Gvir, who is a very powerful political figure now in Israel, mm-hmm. um, sees himself within the trajectory of Kahana. Um, Petzal Smotrich, to a certain extent. Um, a number of other uh, uh, influential Israelis, some of whom were actually forbidden to run for Knesset. Sure, I mean, Kahana's influence is... Very, very strong now, maybe stronger than it's been since it, since his death. And you know I, I also I also want to want to to note that when Kahane was killed, his funeral was in Israel. it was one of the largest funerals in Israeli history. Wow, right. so and this is a person that was removed from the Knesset because he was a racist, right? <laughs> right. Well so the, yeah. You know, the influence influence is the influence is there. It's very strong. It's more neo-Kahanist than Kahanist. Now it's more homegrown Israeli. Yes, Um, but it's 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 very powerful, and it was threatening uh, to to cripple the country. I mean, I think that there's a. I wouldn't say that this is a Kahanist government. I mean, that would that would certainly not be true. But it is a government where Mayor Kahana is a hovering.
0: Yes. Yes. I can see that that's a powerful uh it's a powerful uh insight. And and let's uh well let's close on that, uh Shaul. I, I appreciate your being with us today. It's a very uh fluid time, as we say. It's it's just kind of an awful time, really, I think, uh uh speaking on this on this day. But um thank you for uh for sharing your thoughts. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. I appreciate you having me.